and what would go into you know removing biases that exist in our society and and in, in among the communities that we live in well biases are how the the human brain operates so your brain can process about 40 bits of information at a time and it's exposed to however million bits of information right and the gap between that is is covered by your biases so there are biases that exist that keep you safe and that's why they that's why they're here mm. but unfortunately our biases um about people aren't right but they feel right because we've continually you know all of our media all of our books all of our continues that all of this is true all of this is true everything you think so i would say that you know biases are how the human brain works we shouldn't feel ashamed of that mm-hmm. but we need to measure test what our biases are mm-hmm. and then be dealing with it. I mean, Harvard University has a great tool online, Project Implicit. You can go online and test your biases for yourself, and then you can do that self-education to figure out where your gaps are. So, yeah, exactly. There are ways to deal with this. We just aren't dealing with it largely. Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons. knowledge experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world if you are new to our channel consider subscribing to it and hit the bell, bell icon so that you can never miss an update our episodes go live 1 pm and 7 pm india standard time every day of the week i am your host ashutosh garg and today i am privileged to welcome a very very accomplished individual from boston usa dai sirulo dai welcome to the show Thank you so so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. Dai is the head of inclusion of Jam. She is a diversity, equity and inclusion facilitator. She's a mentor at the Boston Women's Leadership Council and I've always been very partial to authors. So she's an author of Ali Up. Yep, that's right. Uh, so Dai, would you like to tell me a little bit about your early life? I would I would so love to. So my story is a little non-traditional um especially here in the US. I grew up in foster care. I when I aged out of foster care, uh when I was a teenager, I became homeless. Mm-hmm. Um in an effort to sort of um in Boston, very very expensive to live here. I couldn't find a place. So I moved across the country to Atlanta mm-hmm. where I ultimately spent the next 10 years. I put myself in college there. Um you know, I would say probably one of my life milestones was was being kicked out and being homeless because it it sort of pushed me out of my comfort zone and made mm-hmm. me feel like okay, well, you know, do it or don't what are you going to do now you know because now you're driving the car you're driving mm. your life car mm. so you know i spent a little time in atlanta before deciding that i was going to obtain a degree at georgia state university i am one of 3% of kids who have uh, come out of foster care to ever do that wow. so i'm pretty proud of that um and it's intense i have a lot of weird survivor guilt about that so i would say that what brought me to where i am today is is looking around and seeing that things were not uh, our values weren't what we say that they are mm-hmm. right so we're telling people that our values are one thing but then when it really comes down to it hiring and all of the things that we do in business tend to be games of exclusion right not inclusion mm-hmm. so i guess i got my start kind of looking around and feeling like i wasn't included mm-hmm. and getting real mad about that i felt like 
the, um, I felt like the goalpost kept changing, mm-hmm. you know, like they'd say, Oh, die, you got to do this. You got to finish your degree in order to be, you know, in order to be successful. Okay. I do that. Mm-hmm. Now, what is it? Oh, now we're changing it. Okay. Are you going to maybe get a PhD? Y'all, <laughs> you know? So I would say that, um, you know, milestone wise, I got to the point where I wanted to be more, I wanted to be myself. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do work that inspired me mm-hmm. and just coming to that conclusion changed everything. Mm-hmm. It changed the way I was going to do everything because I wasn't trying to be small anymore. I wasn't trying to play small. I was trying to be what I'm here to be. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that just changed the day, you know, Fantastic. changed the game. Fantastic. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, your area of uh, interest and work, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes. Uh, tell me about your role as the head of inclusion at JAM. And maybe before that, tell me what, what does JAM do? <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So JAM is a tech company in Boston. Mm-hmm. We um, do, I guess the easiest way to talk about what we do right now is that we work with creators to um, create NFTs. So uh, non-fungible tokens, mm-hmm. right? Um, so right now we have some folks that we're not allowed to talk about who we're working with, but we have some very high end comedians that are working with us right now, um, to create, you know, these, these, um, NFTs. Mm -hmm. So the work is, um, fascinating and exciting and I get Mm -hmm. to meet such amazing people every day. Um, but what I do for Jam as their head of inclusion has a lot more to do with, um, hiring, sourcing, um, and creating teams and building teams more inclusively. Mm -hmm. And then as we grow, we're also putting policies in place from the ground Mm -hmm. so that you, because we're a startup, so we're putting policies in place at the ground. So as we grow, we don't find ourselves in a position where we look around and it's 50 white people. Right. Mm -hmm. So right now (laughs) we're working on the, you know, the the day to think about diversity, equity, and inclusion is day zero. Mm -hmm. And I am there putting the work in to prove it. And one of the most fascinating things, one of the first jobs I ever ran for them, one of the first hiring sourcing gigs that I ever ran Mm -hmm. for them, I kind of showed them what I was going to do. And I laid out a rubric and what it was going to look like, why we do it this way. Mm -hmm. And and people fought me. They were like, ah, this is so much work. Ah, We don't want to do this. This is slow. And then at the very end of it, they could look back and see how the work got us to the, um, you know, the conclusion that we wanted and and the Mm -hmm. goal that we wanted. And then everybody was like, oh, all right, maybe this does have value. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think they ever thought it didn't, but I think that they were kind of, um, you know, a little bit of me sometimes feels like they were just, you know, sort of telling me what I wanted to hear. But then once they realized that what I was saying was true, then it was like, oh, die. Okay, come on, let's do all this stuff. And it was like, okay, great. (laughs) So interesting. So yeah, why is, in your opinion, is diversity, equity and inclusion beginning to get so relevant today. I mean, we've been talking about it for several decades and yet it keeps spurting up, you know, all over the world. Yeah. Why is it so so much more relevant today? I think it's not more relevant than ever it has been. I think we have more tools to show people what's really going on, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So if you think about, and I'm just going to speak to the U.S. if that's, if that's okay, because my my history is, my world history is less, less awesome than my U.S. history. Um, So, (laughs) um, you know, here in the United States, we've sort of had this push and pull between civil rights 
human rights and and what we're willing to what we're willing to stand for as a larger society so there's always been that movement i don't feel like it's new what i do feel like is new is that people are seeing these things for the first time people are seeing videos of of folks acting in ways that we would not support on our behalf and that's that's a real problem for us that's a real problem for us um in the dei field especially right. speaking to those uh, speaking to those events that are happening in our country and, and worldwide, in fact, mm. on a regular basis. Um, so that's, I don't think it's more relevant today. Mm. I think it's as relevant as it as ever has been, but now more people are getting involved because more people can see it with their own eyes. Sure, sure. And, that uh, and you know, uh, as, as an expert in this area, uh, and, you know, despite so much work being done, the imbalances continue. What yes. can be done to correct it faster? I think recognizing that these imbalances imbalances exist mm -hmm. is probably step one. So a lot of times I'll go into conversations with people, CEOs, executives, whatever, mm -hmm. and they'll say to me, well, Di, you know, we're all a family here. We don't have these problems. And then, of course, you start talking to any number of their employees and suddenly they do have those problems. So I think recognizing all of us looking at the same thing and agreeing that we're seeing the same thing mm. and then coming to terms with how we're going to deal with it. But if we don't recognize it, then there's no accountability and nothing changes. So I think in terms of what we're seeing, even social justice wise, accountability first, once we can all agree that this is what's really happening and this is what we're seeing, then we can have those conversations about how we fix this. But right now we're not even, I mean, in the workforce in the US today, you know, you see our big tech companies taking sort of a stand a little bit here and there. I mean, I'm not saying they aren't, I'm sure they're doing as much as they can, mm -hmm. but you know, we haven't had that, what we call a come to Jesus moment. Like mm -hmm. we all need to come here. We need to talk about what's happening. We need to agree, agree that this is happening and not just putting it off onto the people who are suffering beneath it to continuously prove and, 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 you know, bear the onus of proving it to us, the greater, the majority community, I would say. And what would go into, you know, removing biases that exist in our society and, and in, among the communities that we live in? Well, biases are how the, the human brain operates. So your brain can process about 40 bits of information at a time and it's exposed to however million bits of information, right? Mm -hmm. And the gap between that is, is covered by your biases. So there are biases that exist that keep you safe and that's why, they, that's why they're here. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, our biases um, about people aren't right but they feel right because we've continually you know all of our media all of our books all of our continues that doop, 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 all of this is true all of this is true everything you think so i would say that you know biases are how the human brain works we shouldn't feel ashamed of that mm -hmm. but we need to measure test what our biases are mm -hmm and then be dealing with it. I mean, Harvard University has a great tool online, Project Implicit. You can go online and test your biases for yourself. And then you can do that self-education to figure out where your gaps are. So yeah, exactly. There are ways to deal with this. We just aren't dealing with it largely, so. And you know, for someone, you know, you've done a lot of work on this, uh, in, on this area. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the biases are also uh, probably ingrained when we are growing up as children. Of course, of so course they are. Stage, at what stage should uh, children or students be uh, made aware of some of these uh, challenges? 
Yes. So, so again, I love that these aren't the softball questions. These are the hard ones. Okay. So I have two children. Mm. Um, my son is five turning six. Mm. My daughter is three turning four. So my son, I started sort of talking to him about biases, mm -hmm. racism, um, and sort of what we see out in the world, probably age appropriately around three. Right. We started sort of reading books to expose him to, um, you know, some of the challenges that the world was going through right now. And I'm doing the same for my daughter, the shows we watch, all of those things are educational. Right. So I would say that that's person to person. You have to decide as a parent. But for me, as somebody in this field, I each child is different. But my kids were ready to start talking about this stuff early. And recently my son was at a playground and he was, you know, our, our caregiver texted me and was like, Hey, none of these, none of the children here are playing with this, with this black child. They are, you know, being rather mean to him, but just so you know, your child went over, introduced himself and introduced your daughter and they've been playing for the last 20 minutes. So when I shared the story on LinkedIn, I had so many um, black women come to me and say, yes, thank you. Because our, you know, Age five is exactly when we started feeling these feelings on the playgrounds and stuff. And, and so, I mean, right now we were just seeing recently, you know, schools in Texas here in the U.S. were having these battles about whether or not anti-racism should be introduced to children. And parents were all up in our, you know, they were all upset mm -hmm. because they were, they were under the impression that Texas was planning to teach racism to their children. Mm -hmm. But society teaches racism to your children, your biases teach racism to your children. Mm -hmm. So if you aren't planning for that and you aren't showing, if you aren't showing up in better ways or, or correcting that behavior or correcting those TV shows as you're watching them with your kids, then they are already being sort of, I don't wanna say indoctrinated because that's a strong word, but they're kind of being indoctrinated into that without your consent regardless. Mm -hmm. So you might wanna be thinking about it, in my opinion, in my humble mom opinion. Very nice. And uh, now, from your mom' opinion, I'd love to get your opinion yes. as a professional to say yeah. how are you how are you handling these at the workplace? How am I handling it at the workplace? Well, I work in tech, so in tech, we basically assume that if you're here playing with us in our sandbox, that you are a grown up, and certain things can be expected of you. Mm -hmm. Your inability to deal with other people or be inclusive of other people that are not yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a valid, valued position that we need to take into account on your behalf. You are welcome to go and be an individual contributor anywhere. You know, I don't think, I don't think I'm not into inclusion is a valid point. Here in the States, especially, we have we have this thing with our news where both sides need to be covered with exactly the same ferocity and the same, um, you know, a weight gravity so you'll have somebody like a you'll have like a some genius with a phd and they'll be talking about what's happening with x and then you know some parent will come in and they'll be like i disagree because i did my research and it's like at a certain point we need to accept reality for everyone and if these are our values in order to join companies you're going to need to at least be willing to self-educate on these topics so that everybody around you is is comfortable and belongs in the space. I don't really feel like 
I don't, I don't like black people. That's not a valid, that's not valid at work. Absolutely. That's not valid in groups. That's not valid in society. So we don't take it in tech, okay. I guess I would say. <laughs> so I've got one more question for you on diversity before I move to your book. Um, oh, please, all day. Uh, the, you know, you work with in tech and therefore obviously you've got a lot of young people, the millennials. I do. He's working. Yeah. I find the, the the younger group of people, the millennials, the Gen Zs, are far more conscious of DEI, if I can use your term. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. than anyone else. Mm -hmm. How are they responding to the challenges of diversity and inclusion? And what has been your experience? So I would say um, here in the U.S. at least, millennials fifty percent of the workplace. Mm -hmm. I myself am an older millennial, not an old millennial, just an older one, like okay. Mark Zuckerberg age. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. The generation before us, Gen X, mm -hmm. expects sort of a certain, they expect that they have to show up at a certain level of professionalism to be considered, you know, professional. Mm -hmm. However, millennials and Gen Z also are, we don't care, right? Mm -hmm. We care more about a company sharing our values than we do even comp. Mm -hmm. So big companies that aren't doing the right thing are having a really, I don't want to name names, but they're having a really hard time recruiting, even though they're paying top dollar. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Why aren't they able to get millennials and Gen Zers? And it's mm -hmm. because they aren't doing the work. Mm -hmm. Millennials and Gen Zers in particular, for the first time are driving that change because it's not Oh, it's, it would be nice if you had, you know, a DEI program. It's, this is a requirement for me to join your workforce. And it's never been that way before. Even for me, I've only been in the real workforce for like, you know, 35 years old. So, you know, not forever, but I still remember, I still feel like there's been a drastic change from when I first started working to today. So, um, I think that millennials and Gen Zers in particular are driving this movement because they demand that this is already handled and it hasn't been yet. So mm -hmm. now we're doing it. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so now let's like move to your book. Uh, yes. Ali Up. Ali Up. Is that correct? Yeah. Ally Up. Yep. I say Ally. It's funny. Most uh, like most people say Ally. It's so weird. <laughs> no, Ally is, Ally is fine also. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Ally Up. Uh, Ally Up. Tell me about this book and what's, what, have you, uh, what is your hypothesis? Oh, so I started writing this book in 2019. So before the pandemic, I, you know, got in touch with a writing coach and an editor. I signed off on all my contracts. And I'm telling you because you've written like seven books, right? Mm -hmm. So you know how it is. So I signed off on all my contracts. And then I start getting, you know, my editors like die, you know, this is a, this is a, this is a really narrow topic. Not very many people are going to be that interested. And I was mm -hmm. like, you know what, it's just going to be a baseline of information for companies so that if I am going into work with them, I can give them these books. They have this information so that they are prepared to have these conversations mm -hmm. with me so that we can set measurable goals in DEI. He's like, okay, nobody cares. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Whatever. Right. So in January, I started getting emails from people that I had wanted to work with previously via LinkedIn, mm -hmm. say, sending me articles about, you know, um, Google was like quietly dismantling and then rebuilding their DEI team. So, uh, you know, some CEOs were like, oh, die, you're going to have to find a new hustle. You know, DEI's time in the sun is over. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, well, all right, well, I'm already pot committed, right? Like, I'm already committed to this. Sure. And then so I'm writing and I'm writing and I'm writing in a pandemic. I'm home with two kids. I've got my son who's like, as I say, you know, doing kindergarten virtually. So yeah. um, it was not a great year, <laughs> but I, you know, I write the whole book. I'm done with it. All of a sudden, 
we start seeing this, uh, you know, George Floyd is murdered in the U.S. Mm. Suddenly, the, suddenly the U.S. is on fire, right? Yeah. And, and folks are like, oh my God, die. Are you finished with this book? You know, what are we doing next? What's up? And, and so now I had, to, I had to expand on it a little bit and include more social justice. And I'm happy with that. I'm happy people are here. But the book is now and has always been a baseline of knowledge for allies, aspiring allies, advocates, folks who want to do better for their employees in the workforce to just be a baseline of information to have these conversations. I interviewed hundreds of people and their interviews are in there. There are over 200 footnotes and jokes from me. The whole thing is just me telling you the entire story start to finish covering the, as I'm talking to you right now, covering the entirety of the employee life cycle and places within that where you can build up your knowledge to have a more inclusive workforce. Mm -hmm. And it just, at every single level, there are things you can do if you care about this. And that's why I wrote the book. And I'm really excited that we are all sort of joining this movement already in progress together. And is this book available on Amazon? The book Oh my gosh. So I'll tell you, yes, first of all. Second of all, it's in pre-order on Amazon. Second of all, I was <laughs> on a phone call with somebody that I was pretty trying to impress. Mm -hmm. And he says to me, oh, die, is your book on Amazon? And I said, oh, no, it's not on Amazon yet because it won't be available on Amazon until August. Mm -hmm. And he looks and he goes, ooh, Ally Up is on Amazon. Is that you? Did some, and I just, I freaked out. And I was like, oh my God, somebody else has written my book. And, and he was finally like, wait, this is your name though, right? I'm like, oh, you know, so it's just up early. But of course, like, you know, me being me, I had to freak out first. But yes, that's, that's the long version of the short question. No, it's, it's a very exciting. It's very exciting yeah. when, your, when your book comes up for, in the pre-order position, you know. Right? I know. I, I, I saw it and I just sat there for like 20 minutes just like, wow, my book is on Amazon. Like, I wrote that. That's my name. So yeah. I, I, I'm excited to be alive, obviously. Terrific. Okay. So I'm going to move now to the last segment of our conversation. A few questions yeah. personally. My first question to you is that, uh, you know, for someone who's had such an amazing life, you, you've had your own set of challenges, beautiful children, excellent mm -hmm. job. Mm -hmm. What are some of the core values you believe in? I mean, inclusion, obviously. Um, education, especially self-education, mm -hmm. I would say is another big one. And um, activism, mm -hmm. activism. Right. Like if you see something happening to people around you, stand up, mm. you know, if you have the power, use it, mm. you know, like get in there, get involved. If you see, look, we all have people that we love in our life. I have children. What are we going to say in 20 years when they look on this, look back on this time? Mm. You know, what am I going to say in 20 years when my 25 year old then son says, what did you do when you saw that everything around you was wrong? Mm. This work is my stand. Like, those are my values. Fantastic. My values are showing up exactly as the person you want your children to be. Mm. Very interesting. And a follow-up question to that is, uh, from where you are today, mm -hmm. what does success mean to die? Ooh. So I would say success is the ability to live your own life as you see fit mm. without having to make yourself smaller. Mm. So if you can get a job and that job values you for exactly who you are and your family values you for exactly who you are and you're getting paid the kind of money you want to be getting paid, that's success in my mind. I'm not, it's not vacations or cars or any of that stuff. It's you getting to be you, you learning as you're supposed to learn. That's what I think success is. Wonderful. And I feel like I'm very successful, actually. <laughs> wonderful. That's really wonderful. Yeah. 
Thank you. So I've got time for uh, two more questions for you. Yes, uh, hit my me. Next, my next question is that who or what inspires you to keep pushing yourself and doing you know so much uh, so much good good to the world? Oh God, there's so many great women activists right now that I am so here for. You know, Kamala Harris. Oh my God, mm -hmm. uh, Stacey Abrams, Ibram X Kendi. She's. Uh, Oprah, obviously, beyond. Mm -hmm. People are out there doing amazing, Tamika Murray, people are out there doing amazing work right now. And I am inspired to keep going by those folks. Mm -hmm. So I am inspired to keep showing up classy, awesome, fighting, you know, just as those folks are. So wonderful. I have so many great, great influences in my life, I would say. Wonderful, wonderful. And my last question to you, and this question yeah. is about failure. You know, mm -hmm. part of the world that I come from, uh, I've often said that parents don't teach children, it's okay to fail. Yes. You're always yes. Told, and I'm sure you've met lots of Indians and Asians who constantly being told, be first in class, get, go to the head of the line, etc. And oh, yeah. yet, yet people fail and people learn. Yeah. So my question to you is, what have been some of your learnings from some of your mistakes? Oh, God. You know... Ash, honestly, I fall on my face all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm very big on failure. I learn the most from failure. I love to fail. Mm -hmm. I think I, anytime, I mean, I don't love it like, oh yeah, this was so great. Mm -hmm. I love it like when I can sort of think about it after, like, oh my God, this was such a great learning opportunity. And I changed so much from my failures, mm -hmm. whereas my successes, I don't really change that much. Mm -hmm. So how it, how it impacts me as a parent is I'm teaching my children to fail. Like, we, we say to our kids all the time, mistakes happen. Don't lie about it. Accept what happened. Accept what you did. But definitely fail. Fail. Try. You don't... Fa okay. So the problem with failure and people avoiding failure is that if you don't try, you never fail, right? If you don't come outside your comfort zone where the rest of us have to play in the arena right, where the rest of us are fighting our fights, you never fail, but you also kind of never live either. So for me, I fail all the time. I like there's stairs in my house. I probably fall down them every three months. Like mm -hmm. just, <laughs> you know, like I fail all the time and I'm so, you just develop this comfort with yourself. And in fact, what it does is build your confidence because you know you can fall and get back up. So fail all the time, fail vigorously. That I, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of failure. So thank Fantastic. you for asking. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Right, thank thanks. you so much. Randy, My pleasure. Such an amazing conversation. I love yeah. all your comments on diversity. Thank and, you. Uh, you know, I'm going to pre-order your book if it's available in India. But yeah, I, I, or I'll get the right Kindle edition. I'm sure it will be. Yes. But good luck for the book. Thank and, you. Uh, thank thank you. you again for being on my show. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.